Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in with us. Today we are looking into a very interesting topic again, and uh, chapter 6 from Daniel, and I'll encourage you to bring the Bible before you if you are home or if you are listening, uh, uh, driving, just uh, please stay with us and we'll uh, be happy to share with you. Today I'd like to welcome again uh, our panel and uh, say hello also at the same time to all those listeners who are maybe driving at this time and they share with me just the other day how they enjoy this program and I'll just say hello to you all. But uh, the panel is formed today from Lija. Thank you very much for joining us, Lija. Thank you. feel very privileged. Thank you. And Helen, good to have you with us also. I'm thrilled. I'm excited about these studies and I hope the listeners are too. Ken, welcome to Bible Study. Great to be here, Nick. And Will, also thank you for joining us. Yes, good to be discussing Daniel 6, a thrilling chapter in the Scriptures. Len, it's our uh, facilitator for today. And thank you, Len, for uh, putting together this study. And uh, I would like to just pass the microphone uh, to you right now. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the program today. So far in our studies from the book of Daniel, we've discovered many examples from what we can learn important life lessons. Last week from chapter 5, we learned the fate of King Belshazzar, who was more interested in pleasure and partying than in acknowledging God. Instead of reacting to the immediate threat of a possible overthrow by an enemy army outside Babylon, Belshazzar threw a great party. During the party, a supernatural hand appeared and wrote Belshazzar's judgment sentence on the wall. All, like Belshazzar, will be judged. We are accountable to God for what we do in our lives. That night in October 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire was conquered in an almost bloodless victory by the Medo-Persian army. Belshazzar, however, was killed. What happened to Belshazzar is an example of what will happen to those who ignore God and pursue lives of pleasure and self-interest. This week, we will see how God rescued his faithful servant Daniel from an impossible situation. And before we actually open up our Bibles, Ken, would you like to pray for us and the listeners? Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a privilege to be here today. We look forward so much, Lord God, to sharing your word across the airwaves. It's just a great opportunity, Lord, for so many people to hear the word that's in the Holy Bible. There's so much information, Lord, that is so appropriate and so urgent for the days that we live in. And I pray that all the listeners will take note of what is said and check it out in their Bibles. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit would, with them, would be with them to guide them and help them on this journey to find out the truth that you have put before us. And we thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ken. Well, chapter 6 of the book of Daniel begins with an incident in the new Achaemenid, that's the Medo-Persian dynasty, the second world power revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar by God, as recorded in Daniel chapter 2. Helen, would you read Daniel 6 verses 1 and 2, and then please explain the hierarchy of the government authority. Happy to. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, chapter 6 of Daniel 1 and 2. It says here, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. So what we've got here, we've got the king who's in charge, and he decided that he wanted to also have administrators and overlords underneath. Of the administrators... He chose Daniel to be one of them. Eventually Daniel had a higher position, but he chose Daniel to be one of them. And I thought that says a lot about Daniel's character to start with. 
But apart from apart from Daniel, he had two other administrators. He had overlords. He had 120 satraps, which were provisional govern, governors. Uh, he had prefects. He had advisors. So there was quite an entourage that he had um, to advise and also to oversee the province. And I guess we are used to the different levels of government. Mm. And the king did that too. Now, it's very interesting. When you think about it, Daniel, he was in a high position in a previous empire. Yes, he was. Which was overthrown. And he was now given a very high position in the new empire. And I believe this just points out what kind of a person Daniel was. He was actually second level, if I can come in there, Um, Len. He was in the second level of government as one of those three administrators. Yes. Yeah, which is a very high position. Yes. Well, would you read Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, and perhaps explain to us what Daniel's qualities were? Daniel 6, verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Clearly he he had not only administrative ability, but he was a man of character and integrity, and I think this is what the king noticed. Well, I guess so, that in any system of government it is important to have people of integrity. So many governments around the world are filled with people whose self-interest comes first. Mm. But to have somebody with integrity who calls a spade a spade is very important. You can trust a person like that, a person who's got high principles. Now, what was the king planning to do with regard to Daniel Lidger? As we read in uh, verse 3... He said, it says that um, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It's very interesting here that a new king comes in a new place and uh, he knows already Daniel and he trusted him so much that I think they interconnected both of them so much that the king knew him very well because he chose him as a kind of a a prime minister over there and um, he trusted him so much we will see later on I don't want to jump over but we will see them that the king liked him loved him actually so he was going to take him out of his position which was one of the three overlords I would like to call them and make him the chief overlord. Yes, correct. Well, this, of course, caused a lot of conflict. And uh, the other overlords, they were not too pleased about that. Now, in view of the fact that he chose to select Daniel for this highest position, he must have recognised some exceptional qualities. And we talked a little bit before But I want to ask you, Ken, another question. Why was Daniel so exceptional? Was it his natural talents? Well, I think he uh, had a a number of very important uh, attributes. He was not only committed to God, but he was also committed to the king. And uh, he, he proved his worth Uh, in so many ways that the king relied on him, the king trusted him, and he knew that Daniel wasn't out for his own good. He wasn't there to get riches for himself. And I also believe the king realised that Daniel put his God first before the king's God, but everything always seemed to work out for him. And I believe this is why that the king trusted him. And I also believe it's it's a good lesson for us today that we should strive to be the very best we can be in whatever field that is in and also whatever level that is in. Because sometimes I think people who, say, have a, a lower type of job perhaps may not feel it's important, but we have to realise that we're actually representing God and people actually do notice what we do. 
and I, I think that's something we need to remember. Yes, Nick. Uh, just uh, to answer that question, Len, uh, in regard to his uh, qualities, uh, personally, what I believe about Daniel, and uh, it's one of the characters of the Bible which I really, really like, is that he was representing God. Now, there are many people in various levels of society who may represent certain things. You know, some of them represent groups, parties, self-interests, and so on. But Daniel was representing God in everything what he was doing, even in, in taking care of those responsibilities for which he was appointed in that kingdom. I'd, I'd just like to add to that. When I read the story of Daniel, I come back to how it was back in the first couple of chapters. You might remember that it said Daniel purposed in his heart. He was determined. And what was he determined? He was determined to keep his focus on God. And that was his top priority. It was above everything else. And I think as, as Christians, we need to be aware that in our lives, we need to have God top priority. You know, and I've said this quite often, but first thing in the morning, talk to God before you talk to anybody else. First thing in the morning, read from his, his word. It's a love letter to us rather than picking up the newspaper or turning the radio on. Start the day with God, but continue with God throughout the day. And I believe that's what Daniel did. He was so focused and so determined. Yes, I think Daniel adopted the adage, make God first, best and last yes. in everything. Absolutely. I also believe that as we totally commit ourselves to the Lord, that God will bless us. And I think Daniel is an example of that, that God blessed him. But if you only go to God when you're in trouble, that's not committing yourself to him. If when there's a uh, uh, something that's bad's going to happen to you or something bad does happen to you, and if you say to yourself, well, God didn't protect me there, I'm not going to um, take much notice of him anymore, well, that's not committing yourself to God. When you commit yourself to God, you commit yourself for better or worse, just like in a marriage. Yes, Helen, again. In what you're saying is very, very true. And if, if we commit ourselves to God in the good times, while we have time now, when the bad time comes, it's second nature, isn't it? To turn to God. Mm. Just uh, before Lydia uh, comes on, also I'd like to just mention something, Len, because uh, we hear a lot about, oh, follow God, just uh, and God will bless you. And the way we understand blessings can be a little bit of uh, confusing because we may understand blessings only when we get what we want. And that's probably, we, we think that's how blessings works. But actually, uh, blessings are not necessarily just when you want, but what you need. And sometimes you may need uh, even correction. You may need... Uh, all sorts of things which can be still God's blessing. The reason I'm saying that, because we'll look later, when Daniel was facing very big challenges, you know, to be thrown in the den of the lions there, was that a blessing from God? You know, but, well, just hold on. Stay with us. We are going to talk about these things. As I can see here, uh, Daniel's uh, relationship with God was like interconnection with God is like as you pleat something to three pleats is going every fold every step of the way is going in through so God was li um, Daniel was living his life every step of the way together with God he was like stick to God it was something that he didn't work out to be but it was his very strong relationship with God. Yes. Can I just add one more point then to that too? When we look at Daniel's life, it was a life full of devotion to God. And, you know, we see that he prayed and what have you. I think we have to be very aware though that it wasn't his praying that saved Daniel. We are not saved by just our praying. We are saved through the blood of Christ and faith in him. But as we are, are getting closer to Christ, then we want to develop these prayer habits, and that brings us closer to him. 
You with me? In actual fact, we can spend as much time as we want in devotions, but if we believe it's the devotions that's saving us, mm. we've actually got the wrong slant on it. Salvation is through the blood of Jesus Absolutely. Christ. But deliverance in many aspects, it can be through how we relate yes. in our walk Prayer with God. Because uh, that can be misunderstood sometimes that we don't need to do anything. We learn here today that we need to do things. And first of all, to trust we, in God. I think often we need to look at it. We are, we are already saved. We don't keep, like we, for example, we don't keep his commandments to be saved. We keep it because we're already saved. Yes. And we love him. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I would like to give a short definition of commitment. When my wife and I were married, the minister said something which has very far-reaching implications. He said, will you take this man, woman, as your lawful wedded husband, wife? And then he said something, for better or worse. And when we are committed to somebody, if things are going good, well, it's easy to commit yourself to someone when things are going good, but when things are going bad, when there are adverse things happening, when your health breaks down or something like that, your partner's health breaks down, and you commit yourself, will you stay true to that person? And this was Daniel's attitude toward God. Regardless of what happened, he was going to be faithful to God. Well, now, come back to the fact that the king had a plan. He was intending to make Daniel the chief overlord of the kingdom. Will, how was this promotion viewed by the other administrators and governors? As is the case today, anyone that acts with integrity and has exceptional administrative ability uh, soon attracts the attention of others and uh, the attention is not always a favorable attention. Verse 4 tells us, uh, Daniel chapter 6, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So that was really saying something. We can't find any fault in his work and what he's doing The only thing we can get him on is the fact that he serves the God of heaven. I really love to read this verse in a new version. So it says that they could find no corruption in him Mm. because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. In these few words, you can find perfection. To me, it's, it's an example. Yeah. They respected him. Exactly. What were the words that were said of Christ when they brought him before Pontius Pilate and the rest? I find no fault in him. I think there is no greater tribute to Daniel than that could be, you know, like which was given to Christ. So what motivated these other governors then if they found no fault in him, what motivated them to try to get rid of him well i think they were jealous Mm. they wanted to take him down because he was outshining them in australia we call this the tall poppy syndrome i've seen this operating in schools where you might have some students who are really endeavoring to do their very best and are excelling in their studies and the other kids felt outshone by them And as a result, they um, called them names and tried to put them down simply because they were doing so well. Helen? I just wanted to add a personal story that happened to me, and there are many stories that we probably all can share. But I remember when I went into nursing to train as a registered nurse, there was an incident that happened, and I won't go into all of that. But afterwards, I noticed there was a coldness amongst my colleagues and I didn't know why, so I went up to a friend of mine and I said, what, what's the problem? 
why are they cold towards me? And she said, because they don't know what to do with you. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you won't lie for us. And I said, excuse me? They said, we know you don't lie. And sometimes something would happen and they'd all band together. And I said, well, I'm taught not to lie, you know. And they said, but you're too honest. And all these things were coming up. And I thought, how interesting is that? That even in this workforce, they would band together and even lie about what happened to a patient rather than being honest and saying, well, this is what happened. Mm. That was just a small example. So we're talking jealousy. about jealousy here. Yes. Is jealousy a good motivator? Jealousy is destructive. We have quite a few examples in the Bible. I would like to mention just one, only one. Saul was very jealous with David. We can find this in First Samuel uh, chapter 18, starting with verse 6 to 9. And of course, Saul wanted to kill David yes. because he was jealous of him. Yeah. Helen, what other situation does the Bible record where jealousy caused a rebellion affecting the whole world? We read about this in Isaiah, in Isaiah fourteen twelve to 14. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says here, How you are fallen from heaven, a shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away to the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. It's very interesting that even in heaven, a perfect environment, that Lucifer first felt jealousy of Christ. And here we're talking about Lucifer in Isaiah and what he, he said. And I'd just like to share with you where a quote that I read, and it said, Lucifer was envious and jealous of Jesus Christ, yet when all the angels bowed to Jesus to acknowledge his supremacy and high authority and rightful rule, he bowed with them a little different to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but his heart was filled with envy and hatred. Mm. You know, jealousy is so, so dangerous, isn't it? I have a little family history story. My grandfather was a farmer, and there are certain times of the year when farmers don't have a lot to do, so they quite often do maintenance and that kind of stuff. And my grandfather got a job working on the roads, and this is back in the earlier part of last century and they were making a new road and so a truck would dump rock on the road and then men were hired with sledgehammers to break up this rock into smaller particles so grandfather was he joined this gang of men breaking up these rocks he worked very well in fact he probably did three times as much as anybody else because he was used to hard work and then he got the sack why did he get the sack? Because the others complained that he was outshining them as far as his work was concerned. Well, this is what happened with Daniel and uh, the other governors, or overlords as I like to call them, hatched up this plan. They couldn't get him on his work ethic. So Ken, would you read Daniel 6 verses 6 to 9 with special emphasis on verse 7? Uh, I'm reading from the King James Version here. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days save of thee O king he shall be cast into the den of lands it's a very interesting little verse this because it doesn't actually state that Daniel was actually asked about this which he obviously wasn't now going back to verse 8 now O king establish a decree and sign the writing that it not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which altereth not Again, we have an important little uh, verse here because the laws of the Medes and Persians, once it was signed by the king, it was basically in concrete and it could not be changed even if it was wrong. And finish in verse 9, Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. All right, thank you, Ken. Well, this reminds me of an incident that took place in a, 
uh, staff meeting one day. There was a gentleman there. His name was Russell Abbott. We used to call him Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> and he put forward a proposal, and he said, nearly everybody agrees with it. And I wasn't even asked about this. And I said to him, Russ, can you tell us the names of those who has, have agreed with it? Well, he said there was John Kemp and there was me, and I think this is what happened here. They did not consult with everybody else. They took it on themselves to say that everybody had agreed with this, therefore it's got to be a good idea. Well, it wasn't a good idea. They literally deceived the king for yes. a start. They built the king's vanity, but they also lied. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the king agreed to sign and seal this document. Well, what motivated King Darius to agree to such a plan? In ancient times, uh, kings were often viewed as representatives of gods, and um, it was a chance for him in his vanity to raise the opinion of the people. And um, I think he was... Um, Strengthening allegiance, I would say. Mm. Looking back in the history during this time, the Medo-Persians, they were not necessarily like the Babylonians before them, cultivating that cult of, uh, you know, the, the kings or the that time to be God's representatives. But still, when came from uh, people in under your uh, rulership, you know, oh, that was lifting up your uh, uh, egos. You know, that was a very interesting uh, thing. And I would like to make an application today because the reason we study in the book of Daniel and the Bible is to learn not to make the same mistakes. And we can see today when people put up high in, in all sorts of levels of governance or, you know, leadership, or even if it's in church, sometimes they bring forward their own concepts rather than just to follow God and listen what God's plans are for the benefit of all. And here it's a very good example when these people uh, had an agenda and the king fold into their traps. Mm. Uh, the other thing, Len, I'd like to add to that is we have read that the king set up basically a new form of government in that it was very, very large and it was in some ways, shall we say, um, aside from him. So he had all these rulers in place. Now, when you have so many people and you're the person at the top, sometimes things can be going on below you that you're not aware of. And perhaps the king was thinking, well, in theory, this sounds like a good idea. So for the next 30 days, everyone is going to basically give their allegiance to him. This isn't a roundabout way, of course. So he could perhaps check up that everybody was doing the right thing and his job perhaps was safe. <laughs> yes, well, that's a possibility. But nevertheless, by accepting prayers and petitions, it was basically elevating the king to the status of God. Mm. Now, Helen, was the king wise to accept this plan and sign it? No, he was very unwise, actually. I think it was almost impulsive, you know. They presented it, he accepted it and went ahead and signed it. I think he really, if he'd, if he'd taken the time to go through it, perhaps he would not have. But then again, as Christians, we know what the Bible says. And let me turn back to Exodus 21 to 3. God gave the people all these instructions. He said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your safety. You must not have any other God but me. And here was the king being put in the position, if you like, of God to these people. But I'd like to just, if you don't mind, I'd like to flip over to Acts 12, 21 and 22, which really does describe what, um, and it's about Herod, Agrippa, but it describes what King Darius was going to be. Let me just share it with you. It's Acts 12, 21 and 22. And it says here, And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It is the voice of a God, not of a man. 
So here we see again another incident, putting man above God, and yet we are commanded not to do that. And so what happened to Herod Agrippa I? <laughs> he was struck down, wasn't he, by a severe illness. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was pretty almost instantaneously, wasn't it? Yes. I think an angel had, had come and, and struck him. And I guess it was because... He was accepting the people's worship. I mean, the people were wrong to worship him as a god, but he accepted it. Yes. And I think that was his, his um, downfall. Yes, Will. I think we today, even if we look at leaders, presidents and so on, we sometimes confuse strength and ability um, and the bombastic nature which we see some act almost in a bragging way. We confuse ourselves by saying humility cannot uh, be a hallmark of greatness but in fact it actually is mm. great leaders can be humble and the greatest example is Jesus Christ and I was just going to say around that uh, point uh, that um, even though we kind of agree here that he was not wise to accept uh, that uh, proposal you know, in the Bible says that the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness. Now, there may be uh, people, because I believe Darius, he was an intelligent man. He put together a plan to conquer Babylon, which uh, was not easy to do. But he was not wise. Because I would like to finish that uh, sentence. Another part of the Bible says, but the true wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And yeah. I believe here was the what encapsulates these two characters, Daniel and Darius. Well, um, in, with regard to Herod, Herod Agrippa I, the people acclaimed him as a god, but then he died. It was only a couple of days later mm-hmm. he was dead. He was no god because he died. And so the truth was shown in not just words in this case with what happened to him. Lydia, with um, Daniel, he wasn't part of this uh, secret plan put to the king. When he heard about it, what did he do? We can read this in uh, Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So we observe here that Daniel did not change his devotional habits, but continues praying three times a day towards Jerusalem as he did before. He is not hiding, he is not disguising his prayer life in those 30 days uh, of critical times. He could change. He could hide. He could close the door and close the windows and still worshipping God. But he wanted visibly to show others that he is the true, truly God's servant. um, Secondly, he was the only one member of the government that he could, could understand what lies behind the king's decree that was for the conspiracy conspirators a strategy to get rid of Daniel and uh, also he wanted to to show all others around him that uh, his allegiances to God comes before to the alleg- uh, uh, allegiances uh, of the king. Okay, so, my wife and I were talking about this last night and I said and this might evoke some comments from you panel members that Daniel actually defied the law. Now, Helen, you want to say something? Uh, Yeah, I wasn't going to do it on that. I was just um, thinking about Daniel's devotional life and and what he was doing, and I thought, isn't that what we need to get into our our minds and our hearts, that we need to have a regular time with God, Um, especially as the time comes closer to the end of this world in the last days. Mm. And I think here is a lesson for us, and, and it needs to be relevant to us today. And I believe this is so relevant as well. But I also believe that, that um, we need to look at the law of the land and the law of God. 
Len, you said that he defiled the law. Yes, defiled. He defiled the law of the king, but yes. he didn't defile the law of God. <laughs> Correct. Yes, that's the one. A lesson to, to learn. When people have uh, all sorts of plans and agenda, it's so interesting how the masses of people can shift from one view to the other. For example, we have now big issues and big talks about climate change. And lots of people will just embrace that, not even thinking where that can lead in, uh, in certain aspects. But what we learn from Daniel, that constantly he lived a life of every day as a follower of God. And the Bible says, work and do everything what you can with your hand as you live for a thousand years but be prepared as you can finish this life in one day and that's very very important for us to understand because there will be and there are a lots of pressure on Christians today and that can change even legislation even uh, not to not to even bring before you here uh, legislation like uh, same-sex marriage and so on and so forth, where Christians are very much bombarded that they uh, they should not hold on their views. If Daniel would live today, would he stand for that, or would he bow? Well, we know he wouldn't bow. Ken, there is a principle mentioned in the Bible of what should happen when a Christian is involved in a conflict between the law of the land and the law of God. Would you like to share that with us? Yes, I'll read this from uh, Acts 5 and verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, looking back at Daniel, he could have easily... Uh, I guess escaped what was coming upon him because the people knew he went to his house to pray but he also had the windows open so he could have easily just shut the windows and, and did the same thing but he and so the other thing he could have done also is just uh, ignore the prayer for 30 days um, praying to God but Daniel we have to remember when he was a young man, because at this stage he was an older person, but when he was a young man, we may recall reading some weeks ago, he proposed in his heart to do the right thing and serve God. So he's been doing this for maybe 60 odd years, 50, 60 years. So it's in, his, it's in himself to continue to do the right thing by God and stand up for the principles of God and do what God requires and not what the law of the land or the law of men require. Right. Also adding on that very quickly, he saw the need, even though it was in his practice every day to come before the Lord, but when he heard about that uh, decree, he took a special measure, was he? He was not just routinely go and pray uh, three times a day and, you know, intentionally. That's what the Bible says, the verse, intentionally he went in his room and prayed. All right, well, the next little section from Daniel chapter 6, verse 11 to 15, I like to call the oops bit. Will, would you like to read that and explain what the oops is all about? Yeah, these men had been uh, conniving for quite a while, and uh, verse 11 says, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel, making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king, and said to the king, Know, O king, 
that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. All right, well, be thrown into the den of lions was a certain death. And uh, I think the king realised that he'd made a big mistake, that he'd been tricked into signing a law, an irrevocable law. And so he was not really happy. But nevertheless, the rule had to stand. It applied to him as the king as well as to the subjects. Helen, would you read Daniel 6.16? And here we have a statement by Darius. And compare that with a statement made by King Nebuchadnezzar earlier on. Okay, in 6.16, it's interesting to see what Darius said. He said, So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. To me, I, I believe that King Darius, he actually respected Daniel's um, beliefs. And, and that showed through that statement. But if we look back and we look at Daniel, and I'm going to Daniel chapter 3, and I'm looking at verse 15, and it says here where Nebuchadnezzar says, If you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? There is an arrogancy. Yes. There is a definite arrogancy from Nebuchadnezzar. One was saying, yes. God is powerless. Yes. And the other was saying, God powerful. may do something in his power to save you. Interesting contrast. I think in this case, when um, the king decided to throw Daniel in the lion's den, he knew Daniel because when he had the courage to say, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you, he knew already Daniel. He knew his strong faith in God and he knew that God will save him because I think he knew Daniel because when he chose Daniel to be the first above all the other servants, he knew Daniel that he put it in his charge with. Could be. Anyhow, Daniel was put into the lion's den. It was all sealed over with, with yep. the king's seal so nobody could interfere with it. And Lydia, would you read verses 17 and 18 and tell us what sort of a night the king had that night? A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. Hmm. I think that was the moment when he realized that he fall into a trap and he realized that he did that like pushed by the circumstances. Yeah, because the king was responsible for the care of his subjects. Exactly. The king was responsible for administering justice and this was not justice. Ken... After spending this troubled night, what did the king do first well, thing in the morning? It tells us in verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste on to the den of lions. So here we see King Darius. He's obviously hasn't slept all night, as we've just read. And I, I myself actually believe that the king had really strong feelings for Daniel. I, I really believe that the king had a great, uh, passion for this person yes alright well the very fact that he went down first thing in the morning was that he had a thought in his mind it might be possible that Daniel's still alive that his God had looked after him during the night Will I think one of the reasons why he didn't sleep in the first place is what that he realised <clears throat> that he was confronting Daniel's God and that should make you nervous. <laughs> Just a question. Why didn't the king went to the den sooner rather than wait until morning? 
why, if he was caring about uh, Daniel, why he wouldn't go a bit uh, earlier and to spare himself from that sleepless night? I think, Nick, perhaps there's two ways you could look at that. And if someone, I mean, take one of us, perhaps we're all different, but if there's bad news out there, some people want to put it off. They don't want to know for a while and other people want to know it right away. So perhaps the king was putting it off and putting it off until daylight came. And then he thought, well, I can't hide in my bedroom any longer. I have to go and see what's happened. All right. So the king shot down to the lion's den probably it was sort of like a vertical hole Daniel might have been let down by a rope or something and so the king goes down to the lion's den will tell us what happened on verse 21 it says then Daniel said to the king O king live forever my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they did not harm me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. But in verse 20, it says here that uh, when the king came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. What it means, an anguished voice? And he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? So what it means? It means he wasn't sure or he was sure? Did he expect Daniel to be alive or dead? He was asking Daniel in an anguished voice. Yes, he was troubled all night and he was still mm-hmm. troubled and wondering whether or not Daniel had survived this night. Yeah. And I don't know, perhaps he was hopeful. I mean, when I played golf this morning, I started off with three pars and I was hopeful of having a really good score. But it didn't happen. It was only an average score. Will, you wanted to say something. I wonder whether he wasn't thinking of the men that were pulled out of the fire of the furnace. God was able to help them there. And uh, Daniel's God. And this time, again, Daniel, was he able to help you this time? Yes. The answer that Daniel gave to the king from the depths of the lion's den, he said... Basically, this I'm translating what he said. My conscience is clear toward God, and my conscience is clear to you, O King. In other words, I have not wronged God, and nor have I wronged you, King. This is an injustice, and I think the King felt this clearly. The reason I asked a bit earlier, Len, that question about the night is because um, Daniel had a probably a good night's sleep in the, in the lions <laughs> then there when the king had a sleepless night in the mm. palace I'd like to just make a, a application here we may live in a time of darkness in the night when uh, so many things go wrong in this world are we worried are we sleepless do we have sleepless nights or are we comfortable are we trusting the Lord that through this time he will take us through and there will come the dawn there will come the morning when our king actually will come and raise us from these miserable times yeah I'd, I'd like to bring this down to a personal application if I may we think of Daniel and the lion's den and think well we don't go into lion's dens come on but Bringing it to this day, I remember just not that long ago where I was called to go and visit a gentleman. And when I went to this place, um, the double gates were open and I prayed before I went. Um, He had requested some books. And when I went up to the door, I actually felt impressed to pray again, and I did, and I knocked on the door. And as I knocked, I heard, which turned out to be two vicious rock wheelers, (laughs) barking and, you know, inside. He yelled out at me, the man yelled out, and he said, come in. And I thought, there is no way I'm going in there. So I took a step back, and I just said, Lord, protect me. And, I, and he, um, he yelled again, come in. I said, no, um, but I'd love to talk to you. Anyway, he came out, and as he came out, these two dogs came flying down the um, hallway. 
snarling and you know and what have you they were angry and it was very interesting that they got to a place in the hallway and their their feet went up and they stopped and the man looked at them and looked at me he said i don't understand why they didn't bite you he wanted them to attack me that's why he invited me in and that's what he wanted and and i watched these dogs they were barking and carrying on but they had their paws up like there was an unseen glass came down and i said to him those dogs cannot touch me i'm under the protection of god Mm. I said, I prayed, and he stopped. To me, that's like a modern day being in, in the lion's den. It is. And that, that happened, and I tell you, when I, the man even said to me, how did you get in the place? I said, well, the gates were open. And um, as I was walking out, I felt distinctly like an impression said, don't come here alone. Next time I took someone with me. We can be in our lives many times in different kinds of lion's den. Could be sicknesses, could be trouble, could be financial problems or family problems. These are la- our lion's dens in our lives. Yes. So we have to stay faithful to God and serve Him first, and He will complete the rest. All right. Now we're talking about Daniel's speech or his reply to the king, and he said, My conscience is clear towards you, king. My conscience is clear towards God. How important is it to have a clear conscience, Helen? Oh, I believe it's very, very important. It's important from several points of view. It was a witness. It was a witness to to the king, number one. But having that clear conscience that he had done nothing wrong, he then could come to God with that as well. If he had done something wrong, yes, he would have confessed it, I'm sure, and been covered by God. But, yeah, I, I feel that's important. Number two, if we don't, if we don't have a clear conscience today, we live with a guilty conscience. And what happens with guilt is it eats us away. Mm. And it's a burden we shouldn't have to carry. We need to give it to Christ. So I want to ask a subsequent question. How important is is it to trust in God? Lydia mentioned before, I think, you know, when it said um, that in, in anguish, it was interesting that he said, Daniel, servant of the living God. You know, he was a servant of the living God, and it was acknowledged that way. Daniel had a clear conscience, and it was acknowledged by by the king. So, yeah, I I feel that is important, our trust in God. I'm here because of the glory of God. I'm here because of him, and I trust him implicitly. It's very hard to get to that point, you know, but he brings us through different steps. And the more he shows us that he is right there with us, the more we can trust him. And I think that is so important, especially as we see what's happening in the world today. Another aspect before you say something, Ken. If you have no God to trust, you feel very alone. Yeah. Ken. True. Uh, I just wanted to add what I believe is a really important point here. And I don't want our listeners to misunderstand some of these things we're saying. We have talked about trusting God, and in this particular incident, Daniel has been saved Uh, from certain death for sure and as we've just read his conscience was clear towards God and also clear towards man but also Christians today and in the past ages many of them have been killed for their belief and for their faith and yet their conscience was clear in both towards men and God so there's no guarantee in this life that you won't lose your life for the sake of the Lord. Uh, The rewards are the same with a God Uh, saves you from that situation or if you like John the Baptist who was a true man of God uh, he lost his life but the rewards are the same the rewards of faithfulness is eternal life Ken, we've got to round this story off and there's not much time to do it in Daniel 6 verses 23 and 24 Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in God. And therefore, uh, and the king commanded, and they brought these men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lands, them, their children, and their wives, and the lands had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or even they came at the bottom of the den. So in other words, all these people that accused Daniel uh, were actually fed to the lands and they were written up. And just quickly, I'd like to add to that because it doesn't make it clear that the law of the the Medes and Persians also stated that if someone was found guilty of a crime, their household had to serve 
that uh, punishment as well. Yes. Well, it's, uh, we could draw lots of applications from this, but we won't have time to do that. In this case, these men who did wrong, they were destroyed. Daniel, who did right, was saved. Well, a decree was made. The king made a decree. Well, what was it? Then, all, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my, ho- my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his kingdom shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So here was the king acknowledging that Daniel's God, the God of heaven, our God, is supreme and he can do mighty wonders. Ledger, there's a little footnote at the end of this story in verse 28. What does it say? So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So he also was chose by the next king also. Yes. In his... Uh, For his outstanding yes. faithfulness besides any other outstanding things. Yes. Now look, panel, I was going to give you the opportunity of pulling something special out of this Helen, what would you like to say? Well, I would like to say, if you look at the parallel between Daniel, um, if we look at Daniel 3, Daniel 6, the mark of the beast, and link it up with Revelation, it is amazing the parallels to what we will be looking at in the future. And just very quickly, um, I've just jotted down here, they involve persecution for obeying God's law, involve false worship, involve a death decree for failure to comply, involve the saving of the righteous by God's intervention. You know, the story of Daniel in the lion's den is the same theme that you find with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Those two chapters, I believe, are parallel to the end time issue of worshipping the beast in the book of Revelation. All right, well, I'm sorry we won't be able to get those other things, but I want to read to you the lyrics of a beautiful song, a hymn. It's called Dare to Be a Daniel. I'll read some of it. Standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honour them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. And then the next verse says, Many mighty men are lost, daring not to stand, who for God had been a host by joining Daniel's band. And then the chorus says, Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, and dare to make it known. And on that note, Will, would you pray for us and the listeners as we finish today? Our loving Father, we thank you for stalwart examples of faith and faithfulness in the Scriptures. We pray, Lord, that we might each aspire to live for our God, who will ultimately reward us as uh, he rewarded Daniel the prophet. Keep us faithful until the day when Jesus will hand out the rewards to all those that have been faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And thank you so much for uh, being part of this discussion panel. Thank you for your uh, inputs. I'd just like to say that the book of Daniel is an amazing book, but some parts of Daniel can be a little bit uh, hard to uh, understand. That's why I encourage uh, our um, listeners to follow up some programs which uh, talks about Daniel and Revelation. And for that reason, I just want to make a very short ad here and keep an eye on uh, this uh, coming up because there will be a lot of information. If you are in Adelaide, for example, we'll have several location in where uh, we'll have seminars, free seminars, uh, prophetic seminars, and you are invited to come along. Uh, they will be all around the country, just you need to search for uh, those seminars. One which I would like to just advertise uh, right now, where I will uh, be the speaker for that one, it's in uh, Mawson Lakes in South Australia, and uh, that starts on the 22nd of February, uh, Saturday, 2 p.m., 
you like to register for that one, please uh, call our number, which we provide, or just write us an email. Uh, as I said, we'll provide uh, information with other locations in the next uh, few days. Thank you for listening to us, and may God bless you, and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.